Welcome to the Better Together podcast, supporting seniors in our local communities with your hosts, Sean Seibin and John Hughes. And now, here's Sean and John. And we are live. <clears throat> John, how are you? I'm doing good. You know, uh, just had a recent trip to the Midwest and trying to get caught up at work. And uh, But everything's good. Good. Good, good. I'm glad then. It was a good trip? Yes, it was. Good. It was business, correct? It was business related. Um, it did strike me as uh, a little different to get off the plane there in uh, Indiana, and not only do they have humidity, but it was 90 degrees as well <laughs> compared to 60 degrees here, you know, yeah. so it was like, whoa, I, I hadn't really planned, uh, or I would have yeah. dressed a little bit different. Especially but. coming from the crazy weather that we had, we've been having. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate uh, everybody joining us. Welcome to the Better Together podcast, supporting seniors in our local communities. Um, I'm your host, Sean Sybin. He is my co-host, uh, John Hughes. And we certainly appreciate everybody that um, is tuning in and, and listening and watching. Um, for those that are listening and watching for the very first time, Better Together podcast is all about supporting seniors and um, supporting seniors in our local communities in a way that really highlight the different businesses, the different services, the different uh, companies and organizations that primarily focus on serving seniors. So um, certainly appreciate everybody tuning in and joining us. And um, I'm excited for, uh, for today's topic. Um, it's, it's a taboo topic. Um, it's definitely one that a lot of people um, don't like to talk about, don't want to talk about, and that's the dreaded H word, hospice. Um, and I know, John, having been in the healthcare industry and, and being a, a, a provider um, in, in the way that comfort care does, I know that that hospice is something that you are familiar with. You know it's taboo. Um, you know it's something that needs to be um, talked about in a much more open and, um, I guess, transparent um, type conversations. What uh, what are you What are your thoughts when you when you hear somebody talking about hospice or when you get asked a question about hospice? What, how do you typically respond? So first of all, there's a lot of misconceptions or myths about hospice that sure. are not necessarily true. Um, they're just assumptions of what somebody told them or whatever. But I think the reason people think of it as a bad word is they think if their loved one goes on hospice, that means they've only got a few days to live or something which right. might be the case if you really, really waited, um, but it doesn't have to be. You can sure. get help much, much earlier um, and potentially prolong somebody's life 
um, or make it much easier during that time period on them and the family. So, mm -hmm. you know, having somebody come on that's an expert with hospice can help, you know, clarify what is it, how do you get it, it's yeah. not a bad thing. And, and why How is it, is it paid for? Where is it provided? I mean, these are right. all questions that, that yep. we need to know that, um, you know, that we have to, that we have to ask. I know in my own um, journey and experience with my dad, um, you know, his advanced directives were no advanced, um, no advanced, you know, form of care. One of those advanced forms of care is IV antibiotics for chronic UTIs. And once, you know, once those ran its course, he was put on hospice. It was less than 48 hours, but he was comfortable. He was not in pain. He was managed with such class care and dignity and, and respect. It was really, um, it was, it was really a good experience for us. Um, and know that, you know, he, he didn't suffer. He wasn't in pain. Um, whereas had he not been, that certainly would have been, that certainly would have been the case. Right. And I, I had a very similar experience with my mother several years ago. And for me at the time, probably just like you, it was a learning experience. Mm -hmm. Again, what is it? Why do we want it? Et cetera. Um, and hopefully, you know, today we can clear up that mystery for a lot of for people. For sure, for sure. Well, let's bring on our guest. Our guest today is Maxine Tammany. She has been in um, hospice for nearly 15 years. Um, she's a hospice consultant and expert. Um, she's recently retired and living the good life in, in retirement. And we're certainly excited to to bring her on here momentarily. Um, and there she is. There she is. Maxine, how are you today? I'm excellent. Retired. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. Well, thanks for taking some time to, to join us. I know you were um, in the, in the virtual green room and you were kind of hearing, um, you know, John and I, talk about what our, what our experience has been so far with hospice, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, give it, give a little background before we get into what is hospice and who benefits from it and what are the things that we need to know. Um, tell the viewers and the listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background and what it is that I think is extremely important, what it is about hospice that really grabbed and captured your passion because you have to have a passion for it. You have to have a heart for it. Um, and it takes a special kind of person, special kind of soul to do what hospice folks and that care team do. So sure. a little bit of background about yourself and, and how you came into the industry. You bet. So, um, I've worked for about three different hospices, three or four, four, I guess, um, home health and hospice, focusing on hospice. Mm -hmm. um, for me personally, I lost one of my boys to cancer when he was 19 in 2002. 
Um, and at that time, I'd never even heard the word hospice, had no clue what hospice was whatsoever. Um, but after experiencing with my son and then both sure. my parents, um, the amount of passion, as you mentioned, that goes into somebody who, who works with people at the most traumatic time in life right. um, and can make it better, believe it or not, um, I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to share with everybody what hospice was so that people knew that there was help out there. Um, that when you mentioned the word taboo, goes <laughs> <laughs> to the heart, I'm gonna tell you, because I've spent my entire career trying to change that um, perception. Um, and one of the reasons in having conversations with you, as I as I interrupt and I apologize, that that's that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, because you're tr you're trying to change that um, mm -hmm. that that stigma. You're trying to change that taboo, and you're very passionate about that. And I know um, I know John knows that firsthand from having you on his radio show, mm -hmm. Aging in the Willamette Valley, as many times as he had. So yeah. it's we're we're certainly appreciative of that well thank you um so my number one goal is always to educate sure. um to kind of a uh, hospice 101 um the more knowledge we have in knowing what is available to, for help if it's not just for ourselves but for our loved ones um hospice is more and more accepted all the time um, when I first started in my career with hospice, it, it was very taboo. People didn't even like to hear the word hospice because it meant you're going to die right now. Um, and that is so not the case anymore. Um, hospice provides end of life care, not just in a physical sense, but also spiritual, um, emotional, all of all aspects. The whole person is treated when they're on hospice. Mm -hmm. um, you asked about um, who's eligible for hospice. We had talked about that earlier. Um, it's important that people understand that hospice is a Medicare benefit. It became a medical uh, benefit in 1982. Oh, wow. Okay. That means it's 100% paid for by Medicare. 100%. 100%. Okay. Our younger patients or patients who are um, not eligible for whatever reason for Medicare, um, another payer source is Medicaid. Okay. Um, some private insurances will also have a Medicare benefit. Um, most of the time, it's Medicare. That's the number one payer source. Sure. Um, in order for somebody to be eligible for hospice, um, they have to have a terminal or critical diagnosis with a prognosis of six months or less if the disease were to follow its natural course without intervention. Um, a lot of times when I'm sitting with a patient and I'm explaining um, the benefit, because it's very important that they understand um, what it is and what it isn't, they'll hear that six months or less and then they don't hear anything else. So it's really important that people know that there's no time frame on how long somebody can be on hospice. The determining factor is 
um, is there still a need for hospice and a desire? So if the disease, if you and I both were diagnosed with the same type of cancer, we're not going to live the exact amount of time. Right. I'm different. You're different. Um, and so Medicare understands that when it comes to the hospice benefit. Um, so there's Medicare has created three benefit periods for hospice. So at the end of that six, six months, if somebody is still with us and hasn't expired, they'll just go into the second benefit period. Okay. Okay. So there's no limit to how long somebody can be on hospice. The three benefit periods, when somebody is first admitted to hospice, it's 60 days. I'm sorry, 90 days. Um, at the end of that 90 days, uh, the second benefit period, if they still qualify and still want hospice, um, another 90 days. And at that second benefit period, um, if the patient still qualifies and still wants hospice, it's unlimited 60 day periods. And all that means is um, behind the scenes, the RN case manager will um, in the interdisciplinary team meetings, which happen every two weeks with the medical director, will go over that person's medical case and they will determine if the patient is still eligible and meeting criteria for the hospice benefit. So me personally, um, I think the longest I've ever had a patient on hospice was three years. Three sure. years. Three years. Yeah, that, that's a long time. Not but, common, but it happens. But one thing I'd like to point out to listeners is some people do, uh, for lack of a better term, graduate right. off hospice. Mm -hmm. Because after they get that care and that help, mm -hmm. in some cases, they do get better. Absolutely. One of the things um, when we talk about graduating um, remember that it does take a terminal or critical diagnosis. It takes two MDs um, to um, agree that the patient is terminal. Okay, that's usually a primary care physician um, and the medical <coughs> both agree that this person qualifies under the Medicare benefit. Um, when somebody graduates, I like to be very, very careful with that term. Um, people who get hospice earlier rather than later do live longer. Um, we are pain experts. They, all of their needs are being looked over and, and managed. So when and I somebody, think, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. When, when we talk about somebody graduating, mm -hmm. um, please know um, when that happens, the person has plateaued for a certain amount of time. We don't just randomly discharge people off of hospice. So we, we wait and let's, let's see for a month. If they continue to get better, maybe now they'll, they'll, they'll go to home health for a while. And then when they need us again, they, they can get right back on hospice. Okay. Um, most of the time when somebody graduates off of hospice, um, it's, it's for a short amount of time. 
that because they are still terminal, mm-hmm. they can plateau and um, feel better for a while and then come back when they need us. But we certainly, um, we never want to give up hope. Um, so we would definitely encourage that. But we also don't want to give false hope in the sense that we as a hospice are there to make you better. Okay. We're basically, um, we're like guides. We just want to help mm-hmm. you a good death mm-hmm. because we can't change the terminal diagnosis. Right. Right. Yeah. And John, I don't know with, with your experience, but I know with my dad's, I remember being felt like being made to feel like we were, we were in control. We knew what the outcome was going to be, but I don't know if empowered's the right word, but we were definitely, and, and it was one of the many things that um, our family's guardian angel, Sam Dimchak, um, did for us was hook us up with, um, with, uh, with the hospice company that they did. And, we felt like we were in control Mm -hmm. and that I think really helped my mom know that he wasn't suffering. He wasn't in pain. She knew by that time, you know, that then was coming, but Mm -hmm. Maxine, you mentioned, you mentioned something earlier um, that I, that I think I, I want you to expand on that I think is important. You mentioned that your pain like pain experts, mm-hmm. you are experts in helping manage that pain because we know the mm-hmm. disease, the illness, whatever it is that is terminal mm-hmm. um, is is not going to go away. So I think when people, my mind naturally went, when I heard three years, I naturally went to, oh my gosh, how what kind of, what kind of pain, how, you know, how was somebody able to, to, Mm -hmm. I guess, live and, and for the lack of a better term, survive, um, that long and not be in pain. So expand on that a little bit for me, if, if that even makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Also, please understand that not all people on hospice are suffering with pain. Sometimes it's more emotional than painful. When pain is involved, because we, you know, there's a lot of diseases out there that are quite painful. Um, With hospice, our, the clinicals, um, the operational teams training is so intense. It's much different than, um, than going to the doctor for pain meds. Um, They are highly qualified. Um, They can administer medications a lot of times um, that even some doctors are not comfortable with, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, So they are truly pain experts. Number one thing we wanna do when we first admit a patient Um, the first visit is called an evaluation. It's a Medicare require, uh, requirement. Um, if the patient is eligible, most of us, uh, will admit at the same time. 
Um, and that's part of it. Let's see what medications they're currently on, what's working, what's not working. Um, some hospices will discontinue all medications and only go with comfort medications. Some hospices don't, and that's where they differ. Um, so yeah, it just depends, but not all deaths are painful at all. Well, Did I, I do that okay? I, I know working with alongside hospice in many cases with our own clients, um, getting that pain medication can make that whole journey mm -hmm. um, and experience with their family a lot better mm -hmm. because at that point they may be able to communicate and spend quality time with people. Or I remember one case, uh, I remember the hospice nurse in a phone call to her saying, oh, thank God, there's somebody there that knows how to manage pain meds on a schedule and granted the son-in-law who was there was a surgeon, but actually managing medications was exactly. not in his expertise. You would think it would yeah. be, but no. okay, I, you know, it's not. Yeah. And in that particular case, this person had been almost unresponsive for a couple of days, but after getting some pain medication, he actually rallied, uh, for a bit and was able to say his goodbyes mm -hmm. and then peacefully departed. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that, that pain management can be very different for different Huge. people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. For those who are in pain and suffering, it has to be dealt with so quickly. Um, which is one of the reasons why when hospice is first admitted, um, that's one of the first things that we take care of. We need that patient comfortable. Um, one of the, the things we say in hospice is we may not be able to, to cure your disease. We can't make it go away. But what we can is we can give you a better quality of life for whatever life is, is left. And that's our number one goal and sure. to support the family. So um, one of the things I want to make sure that that we cover is um, what that whole hospice benefit looks like. And what the what? I'm sorry? The entire benefit. What does that look like for a hospice patient and their loved ones? Because mm -hmm. truly for um, the whole dynamics, right? Whatever that looks like. So um, when somebody is first considering hospice, um, hospice has to have a referral. And that can be a self-referral. So somebody can call into a hospice agency and say, hey, I've been given a you know, life expectancy of six months. I've got a terminal diagnosis and I, I'd kind of like to get prepared. How do I do that? That's a self-referral. Um, at that point, um, the hospice would still have to get uh, a hospice order um, from the patient's primary care physician. And that, and from that moment on, we gather the medical records, mm -hmm. um, you know, all the things that are necessary, um, and then sit down with the patient and kind of let them um, learn a lot about hospice, what it is and what it isn't. And then if they want to move forward, um, they'll have an assessment with admission. Okay. 
So that's kind of what that looks like. Um, a physician, um, can anybody can really make a hospice referral, but it does take an MD um, written order for hospice, okay? Um, with hospice, there's a whole team of services that um, every patient can utilize. Okay. And that was, that was one of the things I wanted to cover too. Yeah, I wanted yeah. you, as you're covering kind of what that whole benefit is, talk about the whole team because it's just yeah. not a nurse. It's just no. not, no. Um, you know, a, a, a chaplain. It's just not a whatever. It, mm -hmm. There's a whole team. Yes. So it's called the interdisciplinary team. Um, that is a Medicare requirement, okay? Um, most hospices, I mean, like, I think right here in Salem, we have 12 different hospices providing services just in this area. Um, so the interdisciplinary team is, of course, the medical director, okay? Um, RN, case managers, um, chaplains. CNAs, Certified Nurses Assistants, and um, volunteers, okay? So that's the interdisciplinary group. Different hospices can provide different programs, different services. Some programs may have, I'm just randomly thinking, um, they may also provide a palliative care. Not all hospices do that. Um, they may have pet therapy for the, you know, taking care of people's pets after the patient has passed. Um, massage therapy, music therapy, there's just, it goes on and on, um, which is another reason why it's so important for people to, to think, you know, ahead of time, if at all possible, um, and to have some of their family members help with picking out that right hospice for them. Because sure. one hospice that might be right for John may not be right for me, or right. And we have a we have a choice in, in the hospice provider, correct? A lot of people Absolutely. don't know that, and that's that's a huge one, and that's been kind of a thorn in my side my entire career because a lot of times people think it's the physician's decision. Um, it is not, or it's the hospital's um, position to make that referral. They have to sign the referral. If a patient is in the hospital, the hospital hospitalist will sign a, uh, an order for hospice. It is always and forever 100% patient choice. Okay? If a patient is admitted to a particular hospice and for whatever reason the patient is not happy or family member or loved one, if the patient is not able to speak on their own behalf, um, they can change hospices. Okay. It's, it is important that that fit is right for that patient. Sure. Okay. Um, so they can stop hospice at any time for any reason. Okay. So just because somebody is admitted to a particular hospice does not mean they have to stay with that hospice if they don't feel their needs are being met. Okay. They okay. can transfer to another hospice. It's that easy. It's a phone call and a signature, okay? Um, 
What else? Ask, ask away. So you might cover where is hospice? Ooh, good. Yeah, that okay. was, he made oh. me do it. If he wasn't going to ask you, that was going to be okay. my next question was, where is hospice typically provided? Perfect. The concept of hospice is to provide end-of-life care in the comfort of one's own home. Okay. okay. Um, but that's home wherever they call home, right? So a lot of our patients live um, assisted living, independent living, memory care. Um, it's wherever that patient calls home, okay? The difference being is hospital setting, okay? I'm not going to go into the four levels of care with hospice because that's kind of getting into the weeds. Um, I'm happy to do that at another time. Um, one of the benefits is called the general inpatient. Um, that's when a patient is in the hospital and for whatever reason, unable to leave. Usually it's a pain crisis. Patient is already in the transitional or actively dying stage um, where transport could cause death. Um, always, again, patient choice. If a patient is willing to say, I don't care, I wanna go home. And if I die in transport, I'm okay with that. I don't wanna die in the hospital. Um, so there's a number of different reasons, but we can't generally um, admit a patient in the hospital unless it's under the GIP general inpatient Medicare. Okay. Other than that, we can admit a patient in any setting that they call home, as long as it is a safe environment. Okay. Assisted. So that would be dedicated hospice facilities, right? That could be that could be the home that could, are there, are there such things as, as dedicated hospice facilities? You're thinking of like a hospice home? Yeah. Yes. You bet. You bet. Um, I experienced that more in my hospice um, experience in Wyoming. We had, there were a lot of different um, actual uh, hospice homes. The thing of it is, is that Medicare covers the interdisciplinary team that I talked about earlier, right? They cover all the medications that are related to the terminal diagnosis for comfort and all the durable medical equipment necessary to keep that patient safe and comfortable. Okay. What they do not cover is room and board. That does not fall under the Medicare um, hospice stipulation. Okay. So, for a hospice home, again, Medicare is going to pay for the hospice part of it. Mm -hmm. Their room and board would have to be paid privately. Okay? Gotcha. Does it make sense? Okay. Even in a hospice no. home, Medicare will not pay for both. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah, that's good to know because I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So... We've got we've got the team. We know how it we know how it's financed. What are some of the when families are are you know left with the choice of having to choose uh, a hospice provider? Mm -hmm. 
what are some of the things that they should do? What some of the due diligence are some of the most important, um, you know, maybe questions mm -hmm. that need to be asked? Or is that somewhat, as, as I asked the question, I think maybe that's somewhat of an unfair question because uh -oh. every situation, every patient is, is different. Mm -hmm. But I think the process of maybe selecting and knowing what to ask or where to go to vet different mm -hmm. organizations, different providers out is certainly important. Yes. And, and so, I appreciate that one. Yes. So in a perfect world, I would ask people to please talk to more than one hospice. Okay. So um, it's not always the patient. Some you know, it's a 50-50. A lot of times there's a loved one um, playing the advocate for the patient. And then one, um, then the patient will meet with that hospice of choice, whatever, and make their final decision. A um, couple of questions that I would recommend asking is, um, how often is the nurse and the aide going to come? How let many me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you right there. Let me stop because I think that is extremely important. Mm -hmm. Is there 24-7? Is there a nurse that is with the hospice patient 24-7? No. The way I they think that's another miscommon. I think that's another myth. Exactly. So I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned so, that. The nurse, all hospice services are available. 24 seven. Okay. Okay. If needed. Okay. But we don't go out and spend nights and days with a hospice patient. Okay. Th that's just not doable. Right. Right. It doesn't mean you can't sit vigil if somebody is actively dying and support the family that comes under a whole different ball game. Typically um, a hospice patient who is, stable okay um stable in the hospice world not like you and i um a nurse they're going to see their rn case manager two to three times a week that's a that's an average uh their aid totally depends on what their need is okay um it should also be uh, close to two times a week more if necessary, less if they don't want it. That is their choice. Some patients don't want a hospice aide coming in. Um, there might be a spouse who would prefer to bathe and take care of you know the patient or or a child or a sibling or a friend. Um, so it's it's important to ask, and I want to. I want to be really careful when I say this, because we all know what staffing is like, right? It's no different in the hospice world at all. Um, but it is really important when it is yourself or your loved one. Some some questions that I encourage to ask: one, how how often is my nurse going to come on a regular basis? Okay. Because if they're short-staffed and they tell you once a week or once every two weeks, if that's okay with you, that's okay with you. In my world, not okay. 
okay? I, I think a hospice patient needs more than that, okay? That doesn't fall, that doesn't make that hospice a bad hospice. It just means at that moment in time, they're having staffing problems, okay? I wanna know how big the caseloads are per nurse. When I hear of a nurse that has 35 to 40 patients, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Wow. Yeah. And trust me, it's out there. Okay. So it's important to ask. And those are questions that are okay for a patient and or advocate to ask. What is the caseload of the nurse that I'm going to have? Okay. Another question. Um, if I call, if I'm a patient and I call at two o'clock in the morning because I'm having a pain crisis, how long is it going to take a nurse to get to me? Okay. I want to know how fast you can respond. Sure. Um, again, a lot of that depends on staffing. Okay. Most hospices, I mean, we all want to care. There's some really, really good hospices. We are so blessed in this area. Um, but when it comes to a hospice patient receiving care, it's okay to ask all the questions you want. Okay? It's also okay to ask about experience. How long have you been a hospice nurse? How long have you been a hospice company? Okay? Um, how fast can you get any medications? Um, if you can't get to me in a timely manner in the middle of the night, can I go to the hospital? Big red flag, okay? Um, one of the Medicare stipulations is that when a hospice patient is on hospice, they cannot seek aggressive treatment, okay? In order to be eligible for hospice, the patient has either... Um, exhausted all curative medicine and there's no curative medicine available or the patient has chosen not not to accept curative medicine a lot of cancer patients don't want chemo or radiation you know a lot of kidney failure they, they don't want to go on dialysis it's their choice right our our goal is to meet you wherever you need us right you through whatever it is you're going to go through okay so um you know just those kind of questions um no one should ever 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 feel pressured to be admitted to hospice because they sat down with a consultant or a nurse or even their own doctor it has to be the patient's choice it's they're not going to receive all the beautiful benefits of hospice if it's not their choice. What happens if, and this was the case with my dad, by the time, by the time he was um, put on hospice, he was not medically, he, and he, I mean, he was not in a position, he was not in a place to where um, he was, he was able to make right. that decision. Right. So then, I'm guessing that decision falls on, you know, the the, the family, whoever has medical mm -hmm. power of attorney, or whoever's responsible for the care. 
-hmm. it falls on their shoulders? Yes. Okay. And that's a, that's a really good question too. One of the reasons it is so very, very important for all of us, anybody that's listening, please, if you do not have an advanced directive or a will, please do it. <laughs> yeah. Because that makes your wishes known. Plus it, it's so much better for family members because you don't have brothers and sisters arguing over what mom really does want. Right. And, um, your wishes are made. It's much easier for the family to follow through on what you have decided for yourself. There are, unfortunately, situations where death comes and somebody is not capable of speaking on their own behalf and they don't have an advanced directive or a will, you know, giving that power of attorney to somebody. Uh, in the state of Oregon, if a patient does not have a power of attorney and they cannot speak on their own behalf, that power automatically goes to the spouse. If they are still married and together, it falls on the spouse. If there is no spouse, it falls on the eldest child. If the eldest child, it goes from there. That's in the state of Oregon. If there are no spouse, a spouse or no children, that can get very complicated, and especially for like a patient uh, in a memory care, because obviously they can't speak on their behalf. They have to have what's called a court-appointed guardian, and that takes time, okay? Again, that can take up to two months or longer. Um, if that is not already in, in the making, sometimes it's too late. And the hospice can't go in and take care of a patient until that has all been done. Wow. Somebody has to speak on that patient's behalf. Mm -hmm. And the importance of the advanced directives and, and the power of attorney and, and a will. So mm -hmm. those wishes, like you said, when when that person is of sound body and mind, they're making their own wishes known. Correct. So it doesn't have to fall mm -hmm. on the eldest or now there is some conflict between the siblings or other family mm -hmm. members that want to be involved. Um, yeah, you can be involved in the care, but it's going to be at what mom or dad or whoever right. you know the, the loved one had wanted when they were mm -hmm. of that sound body body and mind absolutely yeah yeah yep. well i know in my own family my dad's planning was uh directed to myself and my sister because you know he didn't want you know extraordinary measures taken and he knew my mother would never agree to that yes Oh, yes. I, I can't even tell you how many times I have been in that situation. And it is complicated. Um, and the only one that really suffers during all of that is the patient. Yeah, right. You're wasting valuable, valuable time of getting that patient the care they need. Absolutely. For sure. What what else do you want? Uh, I mean, we've we've covered a lot. The information mm -hmm. you've covered has been awesome, and I think 
you know, both John and I have had that a little bit of an aha or like, ha, I didn't realize that mm -hmm. or I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So certainly it, it's been um, incredibly in, informative and beneficial. What else do you want the viewers and the listeners to know about hospice? What, what can you, what can you share with them that you want them to make sure they take away? Um, I think more than anything, it's always patient choice. Okay. And remember that it's a teamwork. No hospice should ever go in and take over. Okay. We are there as a partner. We're there as guides and support. Um, I think it's really, really important sooner, better than later. Just because somebody wants to gather information um, does not mean they're necessarily ready for hospice. It means that they're planning ahead. Hallelujah. Right. Um, I had given um, Russ some information on places where people can go and get information on different hospices. Um, the uh, National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, boy, I can't even tell you how much information you can get there for professionals and um, patients and loved ones. It's loaded with information. The National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. Organization, NHPCO. Um, Hospice Foundation of America is another one. Okay. Um, I... I get a lot of stuff for the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid, okay, um, at their website, medicare.gov. Um, there's, there's a compare app on there. So if somebody went to that particular website, you can do a um, hospice compare. Oh, wow. Okay. okay? That's, that's public, okay? Um, there's survey datas. Um, not everybody wants to get into those kind of weeds, but I can tell you that there's a lot of people out there that do. Okay. Sure. Sure. So sometimes doing homework, um, finding out the services that different hospices provide. Every hospice has a 60 mile radius from where the license is held. Okay. So, um, just because a particular hospice may have a, an office in Portland and an office in Salem doesn't necessarily mean that they're operating with two different licenses. Okay. One could be a satellite that still only gives them that 60 mile radius of where the license is held. Okay. That means they can provide services uh, to anybody within that 60 mile radius. 60 miles. Sure. Yeah. So if somebody, if a hospice has a, an office in Portland and in Eugene, they're going to cover the entire valley. Okay. Um, but check out their services. Um, make sure that they are available because, again, staffing can be a huge issue. Sure. A hospice who normally would, um, you know, offer uh, music therapy or massage therapy or, you know, any kind of a therapy, make sure that it's available. Okay. Because at that particular time, maybe it's not. Right. Right. Um, and if you don't know that until you're admitted, 
you're going to be heartbroken if it's that important to you. Sure. Um, again. Well, and thinking about those therapies and the last couple of years, they may still be offered, but differently. You know, so somebody might need to think about, can we do a Zoom session with the music therapy person Mm -hmm. or uh, can they send us a recording of something that we play? You know, because, again, if there's normally two or three of them and let's say two of them had COVID and there's only one, they can't cover everybody. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But they may be able to do Zoom sessions and videos or you know other things so you're right it's important to ask those questions don't just look at a a bullet list of features on their website and say oh i'm picking them because they offer the most uh different things yeah 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 yeah. um another really really important thing before we close if somebody is is waiting to get on hospice for more than a day or two Okay, if the hospice already has a hospice order from the from the primary care physician, medical basically the patient is ready. They have everything. It's it's called a complete referral, but the hospice doesn't have the availability to admit at that moment. They don't have an admit nurse for whatever reason. It's okay if the patient is stable and and willing to wait. It's not okay if that patient needs help right away to tell a patient that we can't admit you for two weeks. Okay. My suggestion would be at that point, see if there's another hospice that might be a better fit. For sure. For sure. Yeah. That would be one where you would want to, to have multiple companies to be able to, Mm -hmm. to reach out to and, yes. And, not yeah. have to, in order to make sure you, you, you don't have to wait. Right. And I think a good hospice or home health company, I personally, I worked very, very, very well with my partners um, in the community. Um, I made home health and hospice referrals all the time. If I were full and I knew that I could not take care of a patient in a certain amount of time, I'd say, I would be happy to refer a couple of more hospices for you. Um, and that's what a good hospice or home health company should do. If we know that we cannot care for you in a timely manner, timely for you, um, let me make another referral so that I can get you the help you need. Sure. Okay. Great suggestion. Well, Maxine, thank you so much for joining us. We certainly appreciate it. You've been a wealth of information. I think um, anybody, I know I speak for myself um, and hopefully for anybody that was watching or listening, I know more now than I did when we started and I know where to go. I know what questions to ask. um, And I, most importantly, I know that we have a choice and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's important that, folks know that. And so certainly appreciate you carving out some time. I know you've got a lot going on and certainly appreciate you carving out some time for, uh, for us to come on the show. So thank you so much. You are welcome. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It's hard to pick just a handful. Cause I mean, I want to tell you everything. 
<laughs> well, I know, I know. And we will definitely have you on again. I think this is definitely one like fraud and scam and, um, you know, the elder law, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's two topics or, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's two shows. It's one topic. Mm-hmm. It's two mm-hmm. shows. So we'll definitely have you back on. And uh, thanks again for coming on. You're welcome. Yeah, Thank thanks, you Max. Much. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. You too. Great stuff. Wow. Um, she packed a lot of information in in a short amount of time, my man. That was she really did. good stuff. And I'd like to make a couple of comments. One of our previous guests, uh, elder law attorney Christopher Hamilton, mm-hmm. has stated uh, on my radio show, on this show, other gatherings I've heard him speak at, everybody who's 18 years old or older needs the power of attorneys. Yep. And Obviously, advanced if you're directive. Eight, yeah, the advanced directive needs that in place with the power of attorneys and stuff. Now, if you're 18 and all you own is your clothes and a, uh, a few odds and ends, maybe you don't need the will part yet. Um but as you age and acquire things and get married and have children, then wills are very important as well. Um, Now, Maxine also mentioned you can go to the Medicare website um, and compare hospices. I just wanted to point out to people, you can also do that with skilled nursing and rehab facilities and home health agencies as well. So anybody providing those services, interacting with the hospitals and stuff, and they get paid by Medicare, uh, you can go on there and you can compare them. I mean, people do that on Amazon with TVs and stuff all the time. Sure. While this data is a little different and some of it, you might have to Google words to understand what it really means, right. but you can compare those types of healthcare sure. entities and try to make an informed decision. Yeah, that um, those are those are two excellent points, and I'm I'm definitely a proponent of of Christopher Hamilton's advice, excuse me, and Maxine's of getting um, that power of attorney, the advanced directives, um, if it's important enough, and and you feel it's needed or necessary, or there's a question about it about the will, um, reach out to reach out to an elder law attorney. Um, and ask the question and, and anybody's that you, that you ask is going to be able to answer the question and tell you why it's important or maybe why it's not. And they're not going to charge you just for asking that, you know, that simple questions you call up to speak with somebody. So, oh, well, good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, any last parting words before I sign us off? No, I don't think so. But that, there was definitely a lot of information for people to digest there. Well, yeah. and she's she's exactly the reason why um, I wanted to have her on the show. I knew she was going to be a wealth of information. I knew it was going to be completely, you know, unbiased um, and not promoting one particular company over another, which I think is extremely important when there's 12 different, you know, hospice right. services that are available in uh, in our area. Um, so she's, she's the epitome of being better together and she makes us better. She makes our community better. Um, and I feel that in order for us to have, you know, better lives, better communities, 
better relationships. We have to be and must be better together. And we have to continue to support each other and support our seniors. So thanks yes. again for tuning in. Again, I'm your host, Sean Sybin. I'm a realtor and seniors real estate specialist with EXP Realty. I proudly serve the entire Willamette Valley with passion and compassion. You can reach me for any of your real estate needs at 503-569-5651. John, how can they get a hold of you? I'm John Hughes, the owner of Comfort Care Home Care. Uh, we provide caregivers in your home. You can reach me at 503-400-6637. Beautiful. We'll be back in two weeks. Um, the topic is still yet to be determined, um, but we'll definitely be back in two weeks on the 31st at 2 p.m. Thanks again for everybody for tuning in. Please make sure you like, subscribe, and share uh, the Better Together podcast. Thanks again. We'll see you back in two weeks. Thank <music> you.